Good morning, Good morning camp campers. Today's activities will include a wedding. Lunch today will be something you probably couldn't afford. And to end the night, we will be hunting Sarah down. Yay! I'm part of the family! Yeah, you are part of the family. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Ready or Not. Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I'm your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current drag wrestling manager. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah, a strong female character. And we're here to ask, is it kinky? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. Are you ready or not to get into ready or not? <laughs> oh, I'm mad, but I'm really mad that I didn't come up with it. Thank you. <laughs> so tell, me about, tell me about your history with ready or not. I had never seen it before. Uh, I saw it once last year, uh, like right at the start of the pandangle, because I was just like, well, there was a whole bunch of movies that came out last year that I didn't get a chance to see. I'm just going to start watching through stuff. And I kept on finding various streams and means of watching it. And I watched it and I was just like, yeah, that was fun. Actually, talk about the start of the pandemic for you, because I, I imagine you weren't able to actually work since your job is very physical. Holy shit. Yeah, it it was so I know every, everything was ramping up end of February and then into March and everybody was like, will it happen? Won't it happen? What's going to happen? How's it going to happen? Um, and I, I made the dreaded mistake personally of I like to listen to audiobooks and podcasts while I work. And when I run out of the new episodes of podcasts, I flip over to my audiobook, and I was like, "Well, I'm making my way through Stephen King. I wonder what the stand is like." Put that <laughs> <laughs> I put that on, and I got like a few chapters into it, and I was like, "You know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on this particular Stephen King until we're well past this." So I'm probably not going to see or read that book for another five years now. No, The Stand is my favorite Stephen King. For those who haven't uh, read it or seen the adaptations, it's about a flu pandemic that wipes out 99% of the population of the world. And even when I was reading it like 20 years ago, the opening chapters are so evocative of like all these people falling ill Every time I would read it, I'm like, I think I'm getting sick. So yeah, yeah. the pandemic is the worst time to read that book. Absolutely. So I quickly put that aside. But I was working on Handmaid's Tale uh, in the paint department. We were ramping up into, what season just came out? Four? It's hard That's to tell correct. sometimes. With, yeah, it's hard to tell with some of the seasons because everything kind of blends together in the background of these shows. Because sometimes you just go like, well, we're done a season. Now we're moving on to the pre-production for the next season kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, basically, we just got our marching orders. <laughs> no, when I found out what. <laughs> no, th this is great. Because we had a wrestling show. And I had a match against 
Big Daddy Mickey Williams, all right, great wrestler, and we're we're two big meat boys slapping each other's meat, you know, uh, <laughs> gr- great time. And I had invited a bunch of people from work out to come see it, so like a good chunk of the audience was a bunch of people from work after the show. You know, I came down, everybody was like, "Oh, it was great, yeah, fantastic," blah blah blah, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna go over to the Shoeless Joe's around the corner." Once you hop around after we're done, I'm like, yeah, cool. No problem. I'm just going to clean up here and help out. And we do that. I give them a quick text, you know, an hour and a half later saying I'm all done. And I get a text back saying, we've all gone home. We just got a call. Work is canceled as of right now. (laughs) Everything's locked down. And so I just packed up all of my stuff like my wrestling stuff, a bunch of clothes, a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I came up to my mom's house because if I stayed down in Toronto, I would have to pay $9 a day for parking. And that would have cleaned me out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just lived at my mom's house and played like seven games of kingdom hearts and watched a bunch of movies and stuff. And Oh, then I got a blood clot. That was fun. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but now I know that, hey, my blood's bad. It's going to try and kill me because I got a blood clotting problem that's inherited in my family. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you related to any royals? Because this seems like the royal disease. It's, no, wait, it's the opposite. No, it's, it's opposite. the opposite. Of, like, when, when I get cut at work, sometimes I don't notice it, and I'll find out, like, a, a few hours later, oh, there's this lovely, great, like, clotted blood on my leg guess that's not a big worry cuts i'm not worried about it's internal bruising i'm worried about interesting planning we plan pretty far ahead um we wanted to start doing some halloween stuff um not realizing that we are about six mu- six weeks ahead of you <laughs> six months ahead Woo-hoo. here we are from the past boy i sure do hope that lions never gain sentience oh no <laughs> six months later the lions have gained sentience we're now a subservient class it's funny listening to podcasts from like six months ago because they're like guys we've got the vaccine it's gonna be over now <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> Anyway, um, so yes, this is our our horror month for us. It's the start of October this month. Um, But it's not the horror month for you. Um, We will be having some more, shall we say, seasonally appropriate um, episodes later on this year. Yeah, for for the uh, holiday season. We're not going to say Christmas specifically, but unfortunately, a lot of camp stuff is Christmas, and we're trying to be as non-denominational as possible. Yes. Do you actually still celebrate Christmas, or are you full witch? Uh, you know what? We do just like a Christmassy thing, mm-hmm. and even then, it's just an excuse to cook a large amount of food and give each other gifts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's whatever, right? It's it's such a non-denominational holiday. I apologize to anybody out there who does take it very seriously. It's just, you know, not a huge thing for my family. I mean, I didn't even know Easter was a big thing for a lot of families until university. (laughs) 
I used to think it was just you wake up, you find some chocolate, that's it. That's the end of Easter. And then I found out at the age of like 20 that a ton of people do a big Easter dinner. I was like, what? What is this? Is this oh, some yeah. weird religious thing? And no, it turned out yes, like everybody yes, does. I mean, technically, yes. But it's one of those also, eh, you know, we, we do it kind of things. Yes, while we're at it, watch Midnight Mass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch Midnight Mass. Hamish Linklater. Mm-hmm. He's great. Um, he's fantastic in it. I, I do feel like we're really getting off topic now, though. I just kept being like, Sam, tell me something about you. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. We're, we're, we're grinding off of the rails, and we're going to <laughs> Tokyo Drift back onto the appropriate railings. Uh, Sarah, can you tell us some backstory about this Ready or Not film or anything that you deem appropriate to talk about with it? Yes. I think this movie is technically CanCon. It's not. But... It's very Canadian. It's very Canadian. I was (laughs) (laughs) The guy who plays the husband, Alex, and it's like from his leading role on Republic of Doyle, and I was like, oh, so they're all Canadian. Anyone I don't recognize in this movie is Canadian. Two actors are not Canadian. The rest are. And the two two actors are Andy McDowell and Samara Weaving. I suppose Adam Brody, too. Going into this movie, I assumed Adam Brody was the husband because he's the other famous person in it. He's second build as well. Yes. I do think his role is more interesting than uh, Daniel's as well, though I'm sure we'll get, to, we'll get into... Or he's more interesting than Alex. He plays Daniel. Um, yeah. Alex actually isn't in the movie that much. So have you been to Casaloma? I live around the corner from Casaloma. But so is a, I've like a never been. Castle. You've never been. It's, there. it's one of those things that you live in the town where <laughs> it, it exists, and yet you never go because you know it's a touristy thing. It's like the CN Tower. I've never been up the CN Tower. I've never been to Casaloma. So Casaloma is like this full-on castle in Toronto, quite downtown in Toronto too, and yep. it's. Um, I believe it actually bankrupted the person making building it in the process of building. So it's sort of always been a public thing for most of its life. It's incredibly beautifully decorated and uh, what's the word? Furnished. Furnished mm-hmm. inside. Um, from what I understand, the scene in the bedroom where they first figure out what's happening, or at least when Grace figures out what's happening they weren't actually able to change anything in that room because that is all the original furnishing. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So this was a relatively small budget picture. The budget was $6 million. It made about 10 times that. I think this Great. movie looks absolutely fantastic for $6 million. Well, it's because, it's because of Casaloma, quite frankly. Anybody who has seen... I mean, any number of films and television shows within the last, let's say, 25 years, if there is a rich person, I I almost guarantee you that the house, the outside, the inside, a hallway, whatever, 
some part of it may have been shot in Castellona. We're thinking uh, Scott Pilgrim, the scene Scott where they're Pilgrim actually shot outside. Yeah, lit, but they're literally shooting a scene where they're shooting a film outside of Castellona. So if you've only uh, seen Scott Pilgrim a couple times, it's a scene where Chris Evans, who is playing a movie star, uh, fights Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, um, X-Men, the, the very first X-Men, that whole inside the grounds, outside the grounds, everything was uh, also Casaloma. They I reused everything since then has been Victoria, though, way on yeah. the other side of the country. Yeah, 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 because that mansion, house, whatever it is, uh, also doubled for Lex Luthor's house in Smallville. Yes, that makes sense. Smallville was shot all around there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's one of those things that if you're shooting in Toronto and you need something opulent, it's Casaloma. That's the thing. I don't think you get the entire look and feel and old moneyness of this movie without Casaloma. There's like the gorgeous candlelight off of all this rich wood paneling and things like that. That's not mm-hmm. something that you can sort of just knock up. I mean, there's so much wood paneling in this movie. <laughs> it would be insane to try to create all of those sets. Uh, I mean, you say that, and at the same time, having worked on movie and film and TV sets now, um, oh boy, oh boy, are there choices that people make making sets where you just go, <laughs> There's an easier option than this. Like the entire, all of the sets for the first season of Star Trek Discovery were done in MDF. Yeah, seems fair. Okay. Problem is, when you stack MDF on top of MDF on top of MDF to achieve all the um, rounded and nooks and crannies inside of a starship, all of those sets become very fucking heavy. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> so in season two, going forward, they tried to use styrofoam as often as possible. Embrace tradition. It's the Star Trek way. It is the Star Trek way. That rock doesn't actually have to be heavy. Please use a styrofoam rock. Exactly. Sure, this movie is not a big budget movie. But one of the names of the producers really stood out to me, and I thought, no way. That's just a common name. There's no <laughs> way there's a connection. Oh, my God. Was it Amy Mann? No. Oh, I just figured um, Amy Mann sounds like a common name. <laughs> uh, do you remember when we were discussing Mark Platt and you said, boy, I sure do hate Ben Platt? Well, am I am, am I about to be like surprised that Ben Platt is on the show? I'm sorry, Ben no. Platt. No. Um, so one of the producers of this film is named James Vanderbilt. Of the the Vanderbilts. Of the Vanderbilts. Yes. I mean, Vanderbilt might admire. What? It's a line from Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. They named they named up Vanderbilt in it. It's it's Richard Gere. I'm, I'm I'm real sorry. I took it way out of context. Oh no. 
Um, so yes, he is the son of Alfred Gwynne Vanderbilt III. To give you an idea, his great grandfather died on the Lusitania. His uh, other grandfather was the chief executive and chairman of Chemical Bank, a bank that is still in operation today. So that gives you the kind of idea. I feel like James Vanderbilt thinks that this movie might have bought him a place out of the wall when the revolution comes, and I'm here to say no. You're Vanderbilt, <laughs> you will still be first against the wall. Just I mean, the, the idea only... of a Vanderbilt making this movie <laughs> fills me with rage. <laughs> <laughs> Now, he's a producer on other stuff. Like, he produced the um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. He produced okay. The Meg, a movie that I personally really, really love. I uh, haven't seen it. Oh, it's very fun. He produced Zodiac, which is the thing that really surprised me. Um, but, yeah, I saw that. It, I thought, you son of a bitch. <laughs> how, how are you a rich-ass person coming from old money? making a movie about rich-ass people coming from old money and thinking, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> this, Like I said, this is not buying you anything. I will also say that the directors of this movie have a really just fascinating through line to their careers. So they're Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Now, they are part of a collective called Radio Silence, which also includes... Um, Justin Martinez, originally, he later left the group, and Chad Vieja. This is what they worked on. They worked on a part of the original VHS movie. Mm -hmm. They then did a movie called Devil's Do, which Eli Roth is very vocal about, really supported. Another one called yeah. Southbound. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, Eli Roth's word and, and word behind things doesn't mean much to me. I'm not an Eli Roth fan. I, like, I love horror, but just his movies, he's, he's, he is that dude, bro, who sees horror movies in that way. Like, uh, not, not to disparage people. I, I'm okay, sure no. he's a lovely man, but... Like, he made Hostel and Hostel Part 2, and then we were stuck with Hostel ripoffs for, for a very long time, thanks Torture Porn and Eli Roth. He also directed one of, you know, in Grindhouse, the Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino movie, how there's um, ads between the two movies for other Grindhouse movies? Yes, yes, I love that film. Like, there's Edgar Wright's Don't. Um, don't. There, don't. Don't. If, if you're thinking about going in there, don't. don't. Um, but Eli Roth did one that includes a visual that I'm not even going to describe because it horrified me so much seeing it. It is the worst thing that I have ever seen in all of Grindhouse. And oh, was it I, Thanksgiving Day? I think so. I'll just say this. It involves a trampoline. That's literally yeah. all I'm going to say. Yes, it was Thanksgiving Day then. Yes, yes, you know the one I'm talking about. Then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really include this more just their careers are growing. Like VHS was very well received, did pretty well. Then you get Eli Ross bump on your next movie. Then they do another one, which is Southbound. Then came Ready or Not, a sequel to VHS called VHS 94. 
And then they are going to be doing the fifth Scream movie, which comes out next year. Yay! Oh, I love yeah. Scream. Ooh. I think this is a really fun um, evolution for the Scream franchise to put these guys in charge of it. I think uh, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I, I only mean, watched the Scream movies actually last October. Like, that that was the first it. time? What? Well, you know, it feels like one of those things that I've already seen because I've seen so many parts of them. Fair, fair. Yeah. It, it was like Scream alone was pop culture, part of the zeitgeist so heavily. I just remember it being in everything. I had not seen, I didn't see Scream until I was late teens, early 20s. And I was very much the same boat of, oh, okay, yeah, I have seen all these parts, just in other films. It's also like if you had to pick one movie that came out in a post-pulp fiction world, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, this is fantastic. This is like if Quentin Tarantino did a horror movie. Yeah, and less feet. Yes, less feet. (laughs) And more Matthew Lillard. I... You know what? I used to not really get your Matthew Lillard thing about how he's this talented, but you know what? He really is. He is this talented. (laughs) He's so good. And then um, my last piece of info is Samara Weaving, who is most famous for an uncle who she looks absolutely nothing like. Oh, so she is related to Hugo Weaving. She is. She is Hugo Weaving's niece. Which also means that she's Australian. What was that? Did you have a that stroke? Was, that was my great Australian exit. <laughs> nice wives to die. Nice wives to die. So, <laughs> I think if you have an uncle who was in both The Matrix and Lord of the Rings, you might have a step up in the industry. This is not to disparage Samara Weaving. I have seen her in, I think, two things so far, and I have liked her very much in it. The first thing I saw her in was Bill and Ted Face the Music. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that yet, but I have seen her in Guns Akimbo, and she's delightful in that. What else have I seen her in? I know I've seen her in other stuff. Was she in Mad Max? No, but you know what? She's exactly the sort of person you would expect to be in Mad Max. Yeah, hmm. But she's great. I'm I'm excited for her future acting jobs. Oh, yeah, she no, was in Snake Eyes, the the new GI Joe movie that just came out. Oh yeah, the one with uh, Henry Golding. Yes, yes. The one where every time I see the trailer, I'm like, "Ooh, a new ninja movie! Very exciting." You don't see like exciting new non-IP. Oh, it's a GI Joe movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she was also in Three board, Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, the remake of it. Yes, it would be very strange if she were in the original Peter Weir one. <laughs> it would be <laughs> very strange. What What are you doing here, Samara Weaving? Oh, you know, Tantra. My uncle's going to get very famous. Oh, yeah, this weird hole opened up in the dreaming, and I just fell right through. (laughs) We hate crime in Australia. I'm sorry, (laughs) Australians. In our defense, you sound very silly. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I really like Samara Weaving. Um, though apparently this role was officially was um, was also first offered to Margot Robbie, which makes so much sense. And Samara Weaving looks like you caught Margot Robbie just out of the corner of your eye. Yeah, yeah. She they have a very similar poise about themselves, not just talking about the face and their hair, which is very mm-hmm. similar, but just the way they move and can act physically, there's there's a similar kind of like, oh, I've just had the shit beaten out of me. Okay, I'm gonna just stumble this way begrudgingly. Oh yes, let me take this opportunity to go off on a tangent about the fact that Margot Robbie does so many of her own stunts, learned to do gymnastics in high oh heels, God. and oh people my God. still don't talk about the amazing, amazing work she does. Uh, absolute queen Margot Robbie. I, I mean, I loved Birds of Prey when I saw it. I was just like, I'm smitten. Everything about this film is great. Like, it's everybody's giving 110 per, uh, for their performances and having the best time doing it. And then I found out like you give Margot Robbie anything in terms of a stunt, in terms of some choreography, she'll go away for an hour and come back and like, yeah, I've mastered it. And it's like, what? How, how did you do that? And she says, I'm really good. What's that? I'm going to play an Olympic figure skater? I guess I better learn how to figure skate. It's insane. Mar- Margo, you don't have to learn how to figure skate. Well, I'll date. <laughs> oh, and I'll produce the movie at the same time. I love Margot Robbie. She looks like an actual Barbie doll come to life, and she can also do all of Barbie's jobs. And then on top of it, she's she has none of the disparaging problems that people assign to Barbie for some reason. Mm-hmm. I love Margot Robbie. More power to Margot Robbie. More power to Samara Weaving. Her dark yeah. reflection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're both from Australia. Exactly. And not oh. from South Africa. <laughs> I have to say, too, one of Samara Weaving's first roles was on Home and Away. And I've never actually seen Home and Away. But judging by the fact that it seems like every Australian celebrity has been on Home and Away and got their start there, it feels like they just have a revolving door. If you're Australian, you have to be on Home and Away. Or Neighbours. Or Neighbours. Neighbours will also count. Yeah. I'm thinking I... particularly of Hemsworth. Mm, the Hemsworths. Home and Away. Not Middle Hemsworth. I don't like Middle Hemsworth. Or Larry Hemsworth, that loser. <laughs> Larry Hemsworth. Uh, that was a good joke. That was a good joke. So, uh, that's about all I have. This is probably the newest movie that we have covered uh, yet on the show. So there's not really much legacy yet of Ready or Not. It just sort of came out, was successful, and almost snuck it in under the wire in terms of coming out in the summer of 2019. Yeah, yeah. I know I was definitely looking forward to it and getting to it. It's just, uh, it happened, and I I just don't think I got the chance to go out and give it my money. Same thing with Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey was one of the first ones in lockdown where I was like, well, I haven't had the chance to see this. I'll watch that. Oh, my God, this movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the actual film itself then. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I hope we haven't been too confusing describing the bits of the plot yet so far. 
the end. That's the end, right? That's the hyper condensed version. If you guys don't want to hear anything else and you, you choose to turn off your podcast right now. But for those who come for the goofs, <laughs> the goofs yeah. being me and Sarah. I, I really hope there's nobody out there who's like, I need to know a quick two-sentence summary of the plot of the 2019 movie, Ready or Not. The fastest <laughs> way would be to listen 30 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, great. I got exactly what I needed and I can punch out. Hey, guys, yeah. guess what? Even if you listen to 30 minutes, it still counts as a listen for us. Cha-ching! <laughs> We're raking in all that money. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By the Thanks, way, Casper. Money, I found out. What? <laughs> oh, Casper. We can't make money from um, the Anchor account because we're not Americans. What? Mm-hmm. Anchor, you lied to me. As in, you <laughs> didn't explain all your terms and agreements. <laughs> well, you know, this is why when marrying into a massive podcasting royalty family, uh, you have to ask, what are the rules of this game? What's the prenup? Mm-hmm. Our podcasting prenup. <laughs> All right. I feel so, like the rules to this game come pretty late in the movie. Oh, yeah. But even then, they're so vaguely defined because it's all based on tradition as opposed mm-hmm. to actual laid out written rules where the, participate, the participants aren't even quite sure what the rules are themselves, even though they've done this several times before. Yes. It seems like one, once a generation-ish. Something like that, yeah. They say that they have uh, a really, really big family because they've mentioned it affecting cousins and things like that as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, they were talk- talking about another family as well. Yes. So the film starts in media res and this is an an in media res that i'll accept i generally don't like them in my films and television because they'll do the oh no here's olivia benson she's being held hostage in a bank how could she possibly have gotten to 24 hours earlier (laughs) and you're like she's a cop she she's in the bank helping people Like, this isn't a weird situation for Olivia Benson to be in. If you're going to give me an in-media res, I want it to be buck wild. Like, to the point where you're just like, oh, how is any of this happening? And then go back and show me how it all sets up. Or you do what they do here, which is uh, two children running through this opulent mansion. And they're trying to hide for some reason. And you think, oh, ready or not. They must be, you know, uh, being hunted or something because we know this is a horror movie. Like the mm-hmm. the movie the trailers don't exactly hide what the premise is. It's not a twist that she's being hunted to death. It's just, oh yeah, she's being hunted to death. Yeah. So these kids are running through the halls, and one of them, uh, I think Daniel, puts Alex inside of a closet. Yes. To hide him away and like, shh, quiet. And then somebody comes barreling down the hallway and grabs the kid and is just like, oh, my God, you have to help me. We, we have to get out of here. 
you know, run. It's, it's, a, it's a man in a tuxedo, very clearly disheveled. And you think off the bat, oh, the kid has to escape with this guy. The kid's in trouble. But then this child starts screaming, he's here, he's here. And adults come barreling down the hallway and they, they grab this guy and take him off while his screaming bride is crying. And oh no, they've all got weapons and lanterns. And you're just, okay, what's happening? And it cuts to 30 years later. Boom. If only this had traumatized these children in some way. Hmm. Weird. Yes. So 30 years later, and it's now in the same opulent house. We're just going to call it Casaloma the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> We're in Casaloma at the wedding of Grace. And Alex, the boy who was placed inside of the closet, right? And like you make this connection very quickly that yes, that child was that uh, is now this man, and they're getting married, and she seems genuinely happy, right? She, even though she's marrying into all this wealth, you're getting the hints that a the family clearly don't want her there because you know ooh, no, she's not moneyed. And B, you're also getting the feeling that Alex doesn't want to be there either. Something's weighing on his conscience. Psst, it turns out he may have to hunt his wife to death. That's what's yeah. weighing on his conscience. I, I feel like the opening, the introduction to Grace is maybe one of the clumsiest parts of the movie because she's rehearsing her vows in the mirror while going off script and saying, even though your family is so fucked up, that sort of thing. Um, I do think the guy playing Alex is really great in selling the whole time that he really, no matter how nervous he is, is not nervous about getting married. Yes. It's nervous it's a, about being with his family. It's a very fine distinction that the actor is playing <laughs> and it does come across very well. It's not, yeah, like you said, it's not the, oh, geez, I got to marry this lady for the rest of my life. It's, hmm, fuck, what if I got to kill her? Yes, exactly. So you you meet various members of his family. You meet his brother, Daniel. Seth Cohen. Who, Seth Cohen, yes, from VOC, played by Adam Brody. And he's he's a lush, he's a bit, not brazen, but brusque right yeah, he's lost his filter um grace says earlier that he's always hitting on her that sort of thing yeah you meet uh the father who is that very upper class white white this whole family is very white 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 and i mean for good reason right it's supposed to be old money and, of course, you, you meet several other family members, including the mother, played by one, Andy McDowell. Love an Andy McDowell. I especially love a 2010s Andy McDowell. She's so severe in this. Yes, that ponytail is an interesting choice. It's pulled so hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm worried for scalp damage or hair damage from it. 
she has an Ariana Grande ponytail throughout this entire movie. Yeah, but tighter than that. <laughs> I don't believe you've seen Magic Mike Double XL, have you? No, I haven't. I, I know, okay. despite all the men. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually. Um, but Annie McDowell is in it um, in a very similar role to this, except she's more Southern in that one, where she's, um, you know, she's in this beautiful, huge house with all her friends, and they're all kind of wine moms. And she's like, she's showing her age, but she's still graceful about it. I, mm-hmm. I just love a late stage Annie McDowell. She is powerful and uh, really beautiful in this way. I don't think we get to uh, very often. It's it's not in that way that you're getting like Madonna who is desperately clawing at her youth. No. Right. She's aging gracefully. She still mm-hmm. looks just as ravishing as she always had. It's just you know that she is an older, more sophisticated woman. Yes, absolutely. My only issue with Andy McDowell in this is she's just a shade too held together mm. for most of the film. I would have liked to see her go bigger just every once in a while, show that like seething rage beneath the surface. I can see that, but at the same time, I feel like any scene where she's in with Aunt, is it Aunt Helen or Aunt Helene? Um, Aunt Helene has her mouth full, so absolutely chock full of scenery that there is nothing else <laughs> to be Yes, to be fair. And, and that does bring us to the other important character of the family, Aunt, Aunt Helen. We'll just call her Aunt Helen. Yeah. It seemed to be pronounced differently by different people through the film as well which yeah. doesn't now, help. Aunt Helen is the bride that we saw in the first scene, crying and sobbing as they drag her husband away. And where, where Andy McDowell is severe, Aunt Helen is... <laughs> is what's, what's a more severe word than severe? <laughs> I mean, I think if we say, if we use the word battle axe to describe <laughs> a woman, it comes across as a little bit more... Um, aggressive and <laughs> Helen is not necessarily aggressive she's just she can't read a room at one point they're taking photos before the <laughs> ceremony and Aunt Helen is just sitting there throwing daggers at Grace she has the the pencil thin painted on eyebrows dark lipstick on her pale features and her her short hair is blown up, like just it's spiked upwards in a it very like um, yes. Thank you. It, she she is a land dwelling Ursula, but <laughs> suck all the fun out of Ursula. Yes, absolutely. I love Aunt Helen, and I really do think <laughs> this actress is having a lot of fun with it. I looked up. This actress is like one of the most decorated Canadian actresses. She has done all sorts of Shakespeare work on stage. She's been nominated for like five genies and stuff like that. Oh my God. I I appreciate that she got this opportunity to just go balls out. Yeah, this could have gone to any number of character actresses and we would have had fine performances from them, but just the way this woman looks 
and she holds herself and she spits her lines out. She never says anything. Everything is an attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Aunt Helen. I mean, in the way that you can love uh, aged, horrible billionaires. Well, I think that we're starting to see a theme here of like Holland Taylor, Andy McDowell, Aunt Helen. There is a character archetype that we are both drawn to. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, fuck, we're queers. Of course we love these bitches. (laughs) We're queers, we're heroes. We love an older woman. So you you meet other various members of the Le Domas family. And uh, fun fact, anybody here like anagrams? No, (laughs) just me? (laughs) This was one I did not catch. I did catch the other one. I didn't yeah. know what it was, but I was like, LaBelle, LaBelle. There's no way that's not an anagram. But Le Domas, I did not get. Yeah, Le Domas is uh, an anagram of Asmodel. Hey, that's a Satan name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you meet, like, cousins. You meet um, some snobbish cousins. You meet some drug-addled cousins. You know, the the fat cousin who's a bit of a just, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm rich, so everything's fine, I guess. Played by uh, Kristen Brun. Am I supposed to know who he is? Uh, only one of the stars of Orphan Black. Have you ever seen Orphan Black? Oh my god, you gotta see Orphan Black. I know, I love a Tatiana Maslany. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love a Tatiana Maslany? I'm so excited for She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> you have always loved She-Hulk. Is it announced that Tatiana Maslany is playing her? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, not, it's, it's not just her, but um, Mark Ruffalo's in it, of course, because, you know, we need to get to how did she become She-Hulk. And then you've got Tim Roth returning as the Abomination. Eh, I love Tim Roth. I don't love the abomination. Oh, I'm sure. This is a lawyer comedy with superpowers. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have to worry too much about just fistums. Uh, there's rumors that Charlie Cox will be returning as Daredevil because it makes sense because he's a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, her arch nemesis, I put in large quotation marks, the character Titania, uh, Titania will be played by one Jamila Jamil. Oh my god. (laughs) And so apparently they're going to make her just like an evil influencer who gets superpowers. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. So I'm very excited for She-Hulk. Yes. Anyway, back to Ready or Not. Yeah, you, you, you really do get the feeling that Everybody here not only hates Grace, but they hate each other as well. This family barely keeps it together for themselves. The only reason that they even tolerate each other is, hmm, guess what? The money. Yeah, these people don't enjoy anything about their lives except the money. These are the people who say money doesn't buy you happiness. It's like, yeah, no no duh for you guys because you're all unhappy. (laughs) <laughs> well, at the same time, they're talking about how they could never go back to flying commercials. Oh, that my God. Thing, that was the thing that really created on me. I'm like, okay, let's yeah. start watching you die. 
I'm I'm sorry we're late. I just can't fly commercial. So they they get the wedding out of the way. There's there's no real hiccups at the wedding. Uh, We do know that Grace is secretly a smoker, but won't show that in front of the family because she wants to she wants to be accepted so badly. Grace is a foster child. She gives a bit of her backstory of like, I was bounced from foster home to foster home and all I've ever really wanted was just to find a family that can really love me and I can love them in return. And I feel like I finally, nope, 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 nope. That's a bunch of lies, girl. You know that these people don't love you. You know that you won't (laughs) love them either. And, you know, if your fiance is completely estranged from his entire family, maybe there's a good reason. Mm Hmm. I mean, like you and your fiance can absolutely be your own family and, and have that feeling going forward. You know, a family can be any size, Sarah. You and I are a family, a pod family. We are, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we are what you would call pod people. Pod people. <laughs> I'm so sorry to anybody who listened to that and went deaf immediately. <laughs> I think I'm just going to clip that and throw that on at the end of every episode. (laughs) I'm sorry to anyone who listened to that. (laughs) Uh, The family kind of gets together and the father of the family explains to Grace that ages ago, their great-great-grandfather, Victor Le made a deal with a man called Le Bale. That's an anagram of <laughs> Belial. Yeah, the Another whole time thing. through I was going, I don't know what it is. I was thinking Baal, which is, I think, also a goat head god, but there's been so many different translations that you can spell it pretty much whatever way you want. Yeah, it, it could be B-A-E-I-L-L, and there you go. You've got another iteration of Baal. Yeah. And so... LaBelle offers their great-great-granddaddy, uh, hey, you know, I will give you untold riches so long as you and your family observe this tradition of playing around with this cool little box every time somebody new marries into the family. And so they've been doing that. And the games range from any number of games. Who knows? They don't really ever say what the other games are. It could be chess, it could be checkers, I'm sure. One of them, because several of the people there are sort of um, married to Daniel and Alex's siblings. So, you know, one of them says, yeah, I got chess, I got old maid, stuff like that. I do feel a little disappointed, though, because uh, he also said, LaBelle also said, if you can solve the mystery of this puzzle box, then you can do it. They put an, uh, a blank card into the puzzle box and it comes out with Grace's game that she has to play. And I was like, oh, so figuring out the puzzle box will be at, will come back at the end of the movie. No, it never. Not. The never. puzzle box does come back, but not figuring out how to open it. Yeah, yeah. That was a weird sort of plot thread. It's not even really a plot thread. It's It's just a... It's you one know, of those things you're trained to go, oh, this is going to come back. This is going to be a callback. They wouldn't include this if it wasn't. It's really not. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's it's not. 
but essentially, ever since that day that LaBelle made this deal with their great-grandpa, uh, his board game empire has been incredibly uh, successful, and they've made tons of money from it, which is why they are old moneyed and the house is filled with board games. Yes, and they say in the current generation, they've grown to own, is it four major franchises, like um, like sports franchises? So, you know, they have money, money. Like, this is not just nine figures. This is multiple nine figures. Yeah, and each of the kids gets nine figures just for sitting there. Exactly. So... Yeah, the the box is passed around the table. Um, The father puts the card into the box. They hand it over to Grace. It makes a spooky gears clicking. And then, bing! And little drawer shoots out the card. And she picks it up and she's, (laughs) guess we're going to play hide and seek. And everybody's faces fall. They all know what's happening here. And she's just like, cool. All right. I'm going to go upstairs. You know, just just hide from you guys. Ha ha. And they're all very severe at this point. Just, oh God, here we go. Now, at this point, I didn't know that hide and seek was the bad one. I thought all of these games had like an evil murderous twist. So I'm sitting there like a dumbass going, how do you make chess murderous and have the entire family playing against, uh, I think it's charity. That sort of thing. I did not know that this is the one exception. Yeah, I, I thought that too going into the film that, you know, oh yeah, every game they play has to be has to be deadly. But then you think about the logistics of that as well and go, wait a minute, then there'd be an awful lot of deaths happening whenever a, <laughs> a wedding happens. And so then then you go, oh, backtrack, just this game is deadly that makes sense yes um and alex even tells her like okay you need to meet me at this particular point so i can talk to you and she's like no i want to be part of your family i'm gonna play the game for real grace goes upstairs she changes her shoes into some uh you know the usual i'm not like other girls converse (laughs) I'm sorry, but that that is one piece of, of of costuming for characters that I I find it's just a cliche now. The girl who wears Converse. I can see that. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, she hides in a dumb waiter, thinking, "Huh, this will be fun." She's talking to herself, just being like, "Yeah, so uh, they'll come and find me, and we'll call it a game, and then uh, you know we'll." go back to the room and we'll have some marital intercourse. (laughs) You're so fucking gay. And then uh, she gets, she gets real fucking bored after a minute and a half of sitting in a dumbwaiter and crawls back out. This is the first injury to the dress, by the way. I love this dress. I love this dress as a dress. And I love it as a transforming dress. Yes. So let's let's actually let's talk a little about the dress then. Okay, so the dress, I think it's very strongly influenced by Kate Middleton's wedding dress. Oh yeah. 
Okay. Now, now that you've said that, it, it would make sense. It's around, well, I say around, it was what, five years later? Yeah, something like that. Maybe, maybe 10 years later, something like that. But yeah, it's got a very full sort of tall skirt that goes all the way down to the ground. I say full. It's multi-layered. It's not like a ball gown skirt. Mm-hmm. And then she's got a high neck and long sleeves of white lace and a sort of bustier underneath that. So I love this as a template because there is just so much to work with and so much to ruin throughout the movie. And you can definitely see like, oh, like the costumers spent a lot of time thinking about this dress because they want her to look good in the wedding, but they also want it to be practical as she needs to move through the film. Exactly. She can't be getting into dumb waiters if she has a hoop skirt on. Yeah, or a mermaid style dress. Oh my God, no. No, this movie would be over in a mermaid-style dress in 30 minutes. <laughs> Bang! But I, I absolutely love it because she starts off relatively covered, but it doesn't feel out of the norm because so much of it is sort of gauzy and lace and things like that. It just looks like a, a normal wedding dress, maybe a little bit more modest than some of the ones you see. But that's it. But then it gives them so much leeway uh, for her to do things with it. You know, she needs to rip off a sleeve and she gets parts of it caught on things and things like that. So I had read that the designers had to make 27 distinct versions of this dress in its disarray. That makes sense because this, this dress is on screen. I don't think you, yeah, you never see her in another costume. Ever. No. No. When we first meet her, she is already dressed for her wedding. So it's it's such a bravo costuming department. Bravo. This dress is everything. If if it wasn't, I I would say that this dress really helps the film. Mm Mm-hmm. This this dress is sort of the outward manifestation of Grace's struggle. Yeah, she's. It's kind of like uh, Catherine Janeway's bun on uh, Voyager, <laughs> right? You knew, you knew the Voyager was in real deep trouble. The messier that bun got, <laughs> that's the same thing too. Grace starts out with this very fancy updo that has like braids swooping around and things like that, and it gradually just falls more and more down throughout the film. Yeah, and of course, she looks great, period, the whole time as it's, as it's happening. Oh, of course. She must smell terrible, but she looks great. Mm-hmm. It, it's so good. Uh, so as she's, she's been hiding in this dumbwaiter, uh, the Le Domas family has been playing a record that counts down how long they have to wait for before they can go finding her. At the same time, you see a, a, a sort of mini montage of all of the cameras being shut off in the house, all of the doors and the windows being locked, and all of the family members and the staff being armed. And, yes, a, very and- fu- a, a very funny moment of Christian Broom getting a crossbow and just being like, I have no idea what to do with this fucking thing. <laughs> I love him. He's one of the in-laws who married into the family and very much has this attitude the whole time of like, 
guys, I know it's part of it, but like, I'll stand at the back and hope the soccer ball doesn't get kicked towards me, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be over here. I'm going to do an important thing. I just need to uh, do it importantly over here. He spends a good chunk of the movie in a washroom watching a YouTube video of how to use his crossbow. Do you know who is in that YouTube video? Isn't that the directors? Uh, the writers, I believe. I think it's the writers. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. As as Grace, she gets out of the, the dumbwaiter and she gets spotted by a maid. And the maid follows her into a room. She tries to cry out and the maid accidentally gets shot and killed immediately. There is no such thing as anyone suffering in this movie except for Grace. Everybody dies instantly. No, 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 wait. Somebody closer to the end did spend quite a while. Sort of, okay, yes. <laughs> like but quite a while. For all of this family berating each other for their lack of aim at times, when they do a headshot, it's a headshot. It's done. Yes. So this, this maid is very, um, well, she's just knocked out off the board immediately. And Grace and her new husband are hiding behind the bed as most of the family rushes into the room uh, and confronts, oh, the daughter. That's it. Uh, Alex's the sister. The cokehead daughter. The cokehead daughter. She's the one who has killed the maid because she thought it was Grace. And now everybody's really upset at her because they all really liked this maid. Yes. She's, <laughs> she's everybody's favorite. <laughs> which is which is nice. It's it's nice to know that at least she was their favorite. She's dead. Oh, I, think that, I think that this sister's performance is great. It's um it's a lot like Alexis from Shit's Creek, where she's like, Daddy, it's not my fault. Why is everybody being so mean to me? But just add in a pile of coke. A pile of coke. Literally her first line, she's wiping her nose. Mm-hmm. And she does that for most of the film. I mean, Grace even points out to her when she meets her. Like, she does a quick nose-cleaning gesture. And this sister, I can't even remember her name, quickly goes, oh, my <laughs> <laughs> Yes. The, the, the amount of time that these various in-laws get, they sort of have to establish themselves really quickly. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's great shorthand. Uh, I think setting it at a wedding is an excellent way of getting us all familiar with the characters immediately. And their motivation. Grace hasn't met them before. Yeah, and the motivation's super easy. They're all rich, they want to keep their money, and they know that they have to sacrifice this girl to Satan in order to make sure that their money continues to happen. The Satan reveal does come very, very late in the movie. And when a character screams out, Hail Satan, at that point I was like, really, we're, we're doing this? Fine, you've gotten me this far, movie. I'm, I'm in, sure, why not? I I always got the Satan-y vibe off the bat. You know, there's, there's a lot of very culty, and not culty like Jim Jones, but culty like um, Satanic Panic, culty mm. feeling happening with it. So 
like they they talk a lot about like oh there was another family and remember when they didn't uh finish the ceremony their entire family burned alive in a house and <laughs> people were like yeah that was just a freak accident you know sometimes or was it people burn alive in a house and so you get this feeling that they're all doing this tradition because it's tradition because it's a family legend but they're all just rich assholes who are using any excuse to just murder somebody Yes, this movie um, doesn't have to lean very hard in on the this is a metaphor part. Like, it is straight up on the screen from go. Yeah, it's it's very in, in its Neil Blonde campy way. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I can't stand Neil Blonde camp films. I'm sorry. It's Not just even like. District 9? I, I saw it in theaters. It was the first one of his films I saw. And I came out of it going, well, wow. I'm so glad that ham to fistectomy worked for Neil <laughs> Bobcamp. How else was he going to direct this film with those giant ham fists? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, I had a real bad time with that movie, period. Because afterwards, unfortunately, uh, this was during my closeted get the days, guys. Uh, there was a girl I was interested in, quote unquote, interested in. And after we all came out of the theater, it was a bunch of us as a group. She's just like, "Yeah, I think that's a really good idea." And we all say, "What's a really good idea?" She's like, "Oh no." She said, "No fucking joke." Why don't we just like round up everybody with AIDS and? Give them like a village to live in, and that way it's contained there within. And we're like, "Excuse me, did we see the same fucking movie?" She's like, "No, no, no. This this way, if anybody wants to go into you know this city where everybody has AIDS, you get checked on the way in, you get checked on the way out." And I'm I'm just like, "Holy crap! This is the." uh, Needless to say, my interest quickly dried up. (laughs) what little there was left of it. And this comes on top of the the fact that a few weeks earlier, one of my my cousins was diagnosed with AIDS. So I had zero fucking patience for this this hot of hotness takes. Uh, so is, I don't want it takes a real it takes a real mind to come out of <laughs> District Nine going apartheid was good actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my god it's <laughs> the one wow. we're we're not laughing at apartheid it's horrible we are very much no. against it we are laughing at the brazenness of a 23 <laughs> year old woman thinking after seeing district nine <laughs> that apartheid would be a great idea to reinstate oh my god She's probably never going to listen to this podcast, so I'm totally fine with this. Yes. Also, like, that's not how AIDS works, but okay. We're off, Queen. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, in this film, the message that it's giving out, I'm fine with this message, because guess what? We're all on board with billionaires are fucking parasites. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. I feel like not only is it spooky season and fall season, it should be fall of the autocracy season. And yes. uh, I'm all here for it. I think that we should all divorce Elon Musk right about now. Yeah, great. Shoot them into space. space so much, go live it. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Awesome. We're, we're all on board. How about they just marry each other and then go move into space? So, so back to these rich people. making Yeah, money. these rich assholes. The, the family discusses this idea that if we don't sacrifice her before dawn, our entire fortune will dry up and we'll probably all die. And I mean, it's at one of these points that somebody says, I would rather be dead than lose any money. And guess what, guys? <laughs> Looks like you're going to get your wish. And at this point, the hijinks kind of start. Yeah. Now that Grace knows the danger she's in, now that the family is kind of all on board, except for her husband, um, they're all ready to kill her. And she's like, oh, fuck. I legit need to survive. Her husband, Daniel, is disillusioned with his family. And he's like, I don't want to kill people. And I never wanted their money. And I only ever wanted you. And isn't this just awful? Right? I, I don't want anybody to die. And Grace is like, yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Let's, let's survive. Let's get out of here. Uh, they accidentally kill another maid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because the staff are easily dis uh, disposable to these rich this, fucks. This is one of the funniest running gags where somebody will go, oh no, the maid's dead. Does that death count? And Aunt Helen goes, no, that death doesn't count. Why do people keep asking that? <laughs> no, it turns out when they do their satanic sacrifice, they go for a full-on sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. They're not even trying to kill Grace at this point. They're trying to wound her enough to be able to sacrifice her. Daniel thinks that he might be able to distract the family a little bit, and he splits up from Grace for a bit. So she tries to figure out, how can I get out of this house without making sound, without breaking a window, which would alert people to the fact that I am there. Mm -hmm. uh, so she goes and finds the butler, who is very poorly singing the 1812 Overture, <laughs> the reason I say it very poorly is I, I, I was sitting there and I'm like, that's off key. That's off key. That's not the right note. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. I was watching with subtitles on and it's like singing the 1812 Overture. And I'm like, do I remember what the 1812 Overture sounds like? Am I remembering the wrong piece of music? No, he's just bad at his job. Uh, no, he's great at his job, which is good. Oh. So she has a bit of a velociraptor and kids moment in the kitchen <laughs> with him where he's preparing tea and she's sneaking around the counter trying not to be seen by him. And every time he moves around the counter, you're like, oh, she's right there. And oh, no, she's not right there anymore. She's moved, thankfully. She keeps and trying she... to load her gun. She, she got a big ass gun at some point. I love this. She gets it from sort of the trophy case and she loads it. She's finally at it. She's, she's not even shooting him. She's saying, move out of the way so that I can get out. And 
she pulls the trigger and nothing and i love this because this is like the big thing on the movie poster is you see the bride with this bandolier and shotgun size like this Mm -hmm. is a signature weapon no it's a one-off thing it doesn't work the ammo is for show only yes like their their great great grandfather's trusty dusty dusty indeed um (laughs) firearm it has been totally neutered and probably fallen into massive disrepair so instead, she scalds him with tea. Ha ha ha. This is how you get the proper people. You use their tools against them. It's, it's horrible, and he's horribly burned. And, I horribly uh, burned myself about a month ago, and I'm look, and it was just like on my finger. And I'm looking at him going, how is he even moving around? Because he's got a sort of two-faced thing for the rest of the movie. I'm like... I would be going, this hurts. I need an ice pack on this. He's sir, 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 hurt. sir, excuse me, sir. Um, may I please be excused from hunting down your daughter-in-law? I've become <laughs> very badly burned and would like to go to the hospital. Oh, That's what's fine. that? Oh, oh, thank, thank you, sir. Thank you. I've returned be... into a cow. <laughs> <laughs> would anybody else like to go home? No, we're good. Great. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. This guy loves his job. I've never seen somebody so devoted to his job. She runs away because she still can't get out of the house mm-hmm. and comes face to face with Alex, Daniel's brother, played by Adam Brody, not Adrian Brody. And I always have to stop and think which one I'm going to say. Exactly. <laughs> Why can't you guys just have different last names? Exactly. Also, you know, they got so famous at basically the same time. That didn't help. No. She's face to face with him and he has this sort of change of heart. He's like, I don't want to kill anybody. This whole thing's pointless. So now both brothers are waffling on this whole, like, murder for money thing. But he also loves his family and understands I can't go against them. So he gives her a bit of a head start, lets her go. Mm-hmm. And then he alerts uh, another group of the family. Oh, she's in here. Come quick. Uh, Grace makes it to the dumb waiter again, thinking, I'll escape through this to another floor. Uh, a maid quickly runs over. And she's also trying to escape. She wants nothing to do with this. And she's seen that the other two maids have died. So yeah, she she's crawls. she's the new one. <laughs> she's the new one. She crawls into the dumbwaiter. And whoopsie doodle, they've hit the button on the dumbwaiter. And it crushes her to death as she's halfway out of it. This, this is... was the death where I was like, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> this is the strongest fucking dumbwaiter door. It's not the dumbwaiter <laughs> itself. It's the door. Like, they, they got industrial strength machinery behind it. It was the old days. Everything was built with steel. Yeah, but it was also the old days, and it should it should fall apart when a moth touches it. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. A dumbwaiter, by its very definition, is supposed to carry something that's like maybe a kilo at most and not that large. Here, it's out here cutting grown women in half. Yep. As, as they're wont to do. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, and they go, it's... oh no, all the maids are dead now. Mm. Yeah, fuck, shit. A lot of swearing from the family. A lot of bickering amongst themselves as well as the swearing. They just, they don't like that their help is being killed. And they also don't like at, at how ineffectual they're all being in this moment. Yes, they're all, it, it really is just a family trying to do something as a group and hating each other as they go through it. Well, because they're not good at it either. This isn't one of those, uh, you know, the deadliest games where I've hunted every animal on the planet and now I want to hunt the best one, man. This is a, well, she's a cokehead and I'm a lump. And your mother is very severe. Aunt Helen might be able to murder somebody. She looks like the type. But the rest of us don't really give a shit. Oh, you want us to kill someone? Boofa doofa. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing. These people have not even prepared in any way. They're constantly pointing crossbows at each other. Uh, they don't necessarily know how to load guns. Everything. It's, it's a lot of fun watching these big goobers be ineffectual at the thing that they need to do. Yes. This is the goat scene. Oof. So uh, content warning to anybody who doesn't like goats and also some really intense physical trauma. Yes. Uh, Grace makes her way to the stables. Uh, and finds one of the kids of the the family there. Yes, I will she, say her husband has managed to unlock the doors at this point. Yes, uh, he manages to shoot her in the hand, like through the hand. As if you see daylight through her hand, or or moonlight, I suppose. Yeah, it's. It's pretty gruesome. This is probably the most gruesome the movie gets. Mm -hmm. So if you are a bit squeamish, uh, this is probably the scene that you want to skip over the most. I would argue the end of this scene is even worse. So she <laughs> she knocks him out, <laughs> which is great. We love seeing shitty kids getting knocked out. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she accidentally falls into a pit by the stables that's filled with corpses of goats. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm, I don't have a farm, but I'm not sure underneath the goat barn is where you store the raw goats. Well, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. I don't think so, I'm told. <laughs> I don't think they actively engage in cannibalism, though. True. Um, and at one point later on, uh, Daniel does say, I, gave, I used that thing that we pour on the goats. So he pours, they regularly pour acid on the goats down there, I guess, to speed things up. Um, so she's down there and she's seeing like parts of people and parts of goats and she has to get out of there. Oh, yeah, and she immediately vomits, which I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of refreshing. You know, this is actually silly. It's rare that you see somebody actually immediately vomit to sell how disgusting a scene is. Yeah, it's always like, ooh, ooh, 
oh, it's gross. I need to run away and vomit behind this, this tree or something. No, she's just like, this is gross as fuck. I've just fallen onto a pile of goats and dead maids. And I gotta, I'm gonna throw up. And you and think she has to get out of there? You think that, that was the worst part? <laughs> nope, this is the worst part. As she's climbing up the ladder, she misses and pierces her hand on a nail sticking out of the ladder. Oh. <laughs> Now, that nail is CGI. So, Tamara Weaving just sort of slammed her hands down on the top of the goat pit. And then the, the nail was added in post. And the creators thought that it wasn't going to work until they saw how hard Tamara Weaving sold that. And she is incredible in this. Like, she's screaming a lot, where I go, like, they're going to hear you, but at the same time, she's telling that there's nothing else she could do but scream in this moment. She she is a scream queen. She is... You might even say, to coin a term. Mm-hmm. It, it's... There's, there's a certain level of screaming that very few actresses can convincingly hit, and she hits this. She she hits this sort of not I'm screaming because I'm in so much pain, but sort of I'm screaming because the pain is so bad. This is the only way I can vent some of it. Mm-hmm. Right, like I have been through so much already. I have been shot through the hand. I am fighting for my life, and now I've just put a nail through my hand. This is both excruciating, and I am frustrated. And I am dying. I'm not dying, but I feel like I'm dying. Yes. And the worst part there is at the very end, most of the ladder has broken away. And she has to use her bad hands to help haul herself out of the goat pit. It's awful. It's horrible. It's not really very gory. um, But God, Tamara Weaving sells it. Oh, absolutely. And she... She screams after him about how much she hates the rich, and it's one of the most delightful parts of the movie. I mean, we all hate the rich. Yes, yes. But it's it's one of those things where you're like, I need to come up with new curses to continue in this stream. It's It's just delightful. She's trying to get away. She's like, finally, I'm away from the house. Uh, I'm away from the goats. I can, if I can just make it somewhere and who should happen to find her, but the butler. The butler driving along sees her on the road. Have Mm -hmm. you ever seen, um, oh God, what is it called? Funny games, funny games. Oh no, I haven't seen funny games. Don't, don't watch Funny Games. Um, this is very reminiscent of one of the worst parts in Funny Games. Yeah, it's... It's, it's that... I mean, it's good plot in yes. terms of you finally think she's gotten away, she can finally get to some kind of freedom, but nope, your hopes are immediately squashed back down as she's taken, she's drugged, she's put in the back of his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, back to the family. The family have decided that 
fuck tradition, we're going to turn on all of the cameras and stuff in the house again. And they have a, a nice little argument about what does tradition really mean? And really, what is tradition beyond just a set of things that our ancestors used to do? And that for yeah. some reason, we keep holding it up into the future. If great grandfather had cameras, he would have used them. Ah. I'm always reminded of um, Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode with uh, Loxana Troy. And she explains to, I love Loxana. I love that two of her characters from the original series will be played in Strange New Worlds. It's so great. (laughs) Yeah, she played two different characters, and both of those characters are going to be main cast members. Well, she plays awesome. three characters, technically. There's number one, there's the computer, and then there's mm-hmm. uh, And Nurse Chapel. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, Nurse Chapel. I don't know why I didn't remember that. Yeah, yeah. So Nurse Chapel and number one are the characters who are being played. Really? By uh, Rebecca Romaine is number one, and somebody that's escaping me is playing Nurse Chapel. Okay. So good for them. Good for Rebecca Romaine. They've decided that they're going to switch on all the cameras again. And because they've switched things on, now they can start talking with uh, the butler who's driving back. He's called them up on the FaceTime on his phone. Guys, don't FaceTime and drive at the same time because something like this might happen. So as he's driving back to the mansion, they're watching him. They're all excited. Hooray, we're going to get to sacrifice the girl. And then they watch her come to in the back seat. He is now put on the 1812 overture really loud in the car so he can't hear <laughs> shit. And he's so excited, he's driving along, and she just decides to fucking donkey kick him in the face. <laughs> now, she, we, learned in, we learned in English class that all great characters have a fatal flaw. And the butler, Stevens' fa- uh, fatal flaw is that he fucking loves him some Tchaikovsky, and it will be the end of him. Yep. And so the car goes careening off the road and crashes, and you think, okay. Finally, she can escape. Nope, 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 nope. The the family finds her. They capture her and um, drag her back to the ceremonial altar kind of thing in the main room. This is going to be the big final confrontation. And they're, they're all wearing their ceremonial robes. Ooh, spooky. Now they look like real satanic panic cultists that everybody... Oh, absolutely. They just have to be in the basement of a cheese pizza restaurant. Yeah. Uh, there's there's the big fire going. They've left one chair open for Bale. should he show up. Yeah, ooh, spooky. Oh, that's uh, the other thing, too. They say one of the kids saw LaBelle when he was a child, so that means... Oh, it was it was Alex. So that means this is part of the family. And I'm like, oh, yeah, LaBelle's going to show up by the end of this movie. A lot of the characters hand wave away this tradition of LaBelle. They're just like, it's it's just, we're rich billionaires who want to kill somebody. That's yes. that's it. That's the only reason we're doing this. But we sure do love ceremony and tradition for it. So let's keep doing it. They all get chalices. And they're passing it around. Ooh, you know, ooh. They're reciting some Latin-y stuff. 
And then, oh no, the chalices have been laced with hydrochloric acid and everybody starts vomiting blood and, oh, coughing up stuff. It's, it's gross, but it's also that, yeah, comeuppance kind of yes. moment of, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it turns out that the person who poisoned the chalices wasn't her husband. It was her husband's brother. He's finally come to his senses. He's, he's like, no, no more of this sick nonsense. Uh, but this just leads, uh, I think it's, is it the mom who shoots him dead? Uh, no, it's his own wife, Charity. Charity, you know, is a bitch because she's oh, very yeah. slim and she has a blunt bob. Yes, that's right. His, his wife kills him and she's happy with it because it's clear that their marriage was not good. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Not, none of these people like each other no uh, Grace manages to disarm her and pistol whips her across the face fuck you right? it's, yeah. it's a bit of a, a, a beat em up between various characters now that people are turning on people and everybody still wants Grace but they can't kill Grace they have to sacrifice Grace so they gotta beat her up sort of uh, this is where Andy McDowell and Grace get into a fight and this is some roof stoof. Uh, she's just about to uh, choke Grace to death. Then they change positions. I don't know why they change positions other than the plot needs it. But yeah. this allows Grace to get LaBelle's uh, box into her grasp because it was on a table runner. She grabs the table runner and it falls to the ground. She grabs the box. She smashes Becky, Benny McDowell, in the face and keeps going till she doesn't have a face. Yeah, it's it's real rough, but it's also real good in that Annie McDowell has been that severe bitch the whole movie. And if it again, if it weren't for Aunt Helen, Annie McDowell would be the one chewing all the scenery. And finally, <laughs> this is the this is her comeuppance to have her face smashed in with a box. And this is there's a this comedy running throughout this entire movie, but this is one of the darkest comedy moments where Grace looks up from smashing Becky's face in and she finally sees Alex again. They're reunited. It's it's romantic. Hmm. Except Sorry you know, I killed your mom. She's covered in blood and they're covered in blood and bedraggled and Oh yeah, a torch gets uh, a lantern gets knocked over, and now part of the house is on fire, but nothing. But it's far enough away that people aren't noticing it. Mm -hmm. This is when Alex and Grace are reunited. I think number one, Samara Weaving is at her absolute best, and number two, it's when the movie actually got really genuinely upsetting to me. Did you did you feel this at all? Oh yeah, because now this is where Alex begins to flip flop on his love for her. Like, mm -hmm. holy shit, my mom's dead. Holy shit, my brother's dead. And my brother was the guy who was supposed to protect me. He was, he, he was the person I loved the most in this world. And how could you do this to me? How could you kill my family? Couldn't you just escape? Couldn't you just like go on and just leave these people to be awful with me? Right. So he turns and this on is when they, Yeah. This is when <laughs> they get the real chance 
for their confrontation because she says, you knew that this was going to happen to me. And he says, he says something like, if I told you, you would leave me. And if I didn't ask you to marry me, you would have left me. And the selfishness of his love really just pops out in, in the way that she's wincing and he keeps reaching out to her and she keeps backing away. It really does sort of underscore the horrific abuse of this relationship. Yeah, it's never felt abusive, but it's it sure had a tinge. There's been a rotten power dynamic happening the whole time. They've only known each other for a year and a half. She's been a foster child for all of her life. And now comes this guy promising, like, it's a big family. They'll love you, blah, 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 blah. But in the back of his mind, there's always been the, I might have to kill you, though. And the fact that he's never brought this up, that he's actually brought her to get married and potentially sacrificed to the devil. Eh, whatever. Hopefully she won't get that card. And that's why I think it's good that we don't actually see Alex. He's incapacitated for a lot of the movie, uh, handcuffed to one of the worst built bed frames in the world. Um, <laughs> he's eventually able to saw through with just the chain of his handcuffs. Um, I think it's good that we don't actually see Alex very much throughout this movie because I feel like if we were, if he was helping her more in person and they've had a chance to talk more, um, you can't really shy away from this revelation very long once they've had a chance to talk. No, yeah, it's it's not a good marriage. Just like every other marriage in this film is not a good marriage. And that's when she takes off her ring and says she wants a divorce. Yeah, great. Love it. <laughs> but, at the, but at the same time, he's like, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. If you're already going to leave me, then I guess we might as well kill you. Yeah, so he subdues her, ties her to um, the table next to the next to LaBelle's chair mm-hmm. with a big roaring fire behind it. All the curtains are drawn. Everybody's ready. They're all ready to, you know, to commit the sacrifice. They chant, yada, yada, yada. They all draw out their daggers and they go to stab her. And she rolls out just in time to get one of the knives right into her shoulder. Ooh, again, very painful. But she manages to move in such a way she gets off the table. Now she's got a fucking dagger. Mm-hmm. And she's... right about that time that the sun rises. She is livid as well. I, I loved her, like, 30-second scream as she got up from the table, where she was oh, just... Yeah. Not just... I am so frustrated and in pain and I hate everything and I hate all of you and everything's just coming out in this guttural scream. Absolutely. Love it. So yeah, the sun comes up and they pull back the curtains and all the characters are, ah, no! They all cower before it. And And nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. The whole time through this movie, I'm like, is this going, because honestly, you can finish this satire either way, and having this happen makes just as much sense. It's so funny for the characters to realize, oh, we have just been awful people murdering somebody 
we're rich and we've just been killing people for funsies and using this tradition as an excuse. Well, the egg's on our face, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And they start to gather themselves together and leave the room. But Sam, do you know what the secret to comedy is? Timing. Oh my god. I re- this this is the part. I didn't want to tell you anything about this movie. I didn't want to say, I didn't want to send you a text saying, man oh man, the left turn it takes in the last three minutes is so worth the journey because they're talking. And then Aunt Helen explodes. Not in a, a fiery explosion, in a gooey explosion. There is nothing solid left of Aunt Helen. She has become paintballs, basically. <laughs> it's so funny because now you've got everybody standing there, partially covered in Aunt Helen, going, oh shit, it's real. You watch Charity and her two kids run out of the room, and then you hear three quick pops outside as a bunch more gore flies in through the door. And everybody's <laughs> face in this scene is simultaneously just getting more and more plastered with more levels of goo. The movie is reveling in this. <laughs> it's so much fun. It uh, like they're having a food fight in a jam factory. Christian Brune tries to make the excuse of, oh, but I married into the family. I, I can't possibly pop, right? <laughs> the, the father is like, no, I still have time. I can sacrifice you and, and LaBelle will give me all my pop. <laughs> <laughs> and the final two left is Grace and Alex. And Alex just says, I made a real bad mistake, but I still love you. Honey, honey, can't you forgive me? And she just stands there. And he says, see, LaBelle left me. Like, he thinks he's the one who's gotten away with this. (sighs) And then she fucking explodes. And she has the best face as he's trying to explain himself to her. Just... I gave up on you half an hour ago. Why are you still trying? Yes. The family has exploded into patches of goo. She walks out of the the mansion, down some steps to where she just got married the day before, sits down, pulls out a cigarette. She's covered in blood, parts of it her own, a lot of it other people. And she has a cigarette. And then as the cops and firefighters arrived to rescue everything, one cop asked, what happened? And Grace simply replies with, in-laws. Cut to credits. I was like, you know what, movie, you fucking earned it by this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. That that last line does kind of make me feel... Uh, like I've just sat through a 90-minute version of the Aristocats, the Aristocrats show. Oh yes. Um, but you know what? 
if you if you had thought of that, how could you not use it? It's just it's so good. It's such a good feeling coming out of the end of this as all of these people explode. Like, if you were kind of wishy-washy on the film as a whole, and then you get to the very end and you watch a bunch of these rich fucking assholes explode in front of her, you're going to feel real good at the end. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, this is now part of what a lot of people call uh, the good-for-her genre of films. <laughs> uh, Midsummer. Midsummer would also be that way at the end. You're like, <laughs> yep, good for her. Horrible, but good for her. Good for her. Yeah, and th- these two are the films that people point to as, oh yeah, these are good for her films. Uh, other movies from the good for her cinematic universe include uh, the Vavitch. Mm-hmm. I have not actually seen that. I need to see that. Oh, the Vavitch is so good. Oh, Anya Taylor Joy, right? Yes, good for her. Who doesn't love Anya Taylor Joy? Uh, us. Who doesn't love? I love Anya Taylor Joy. Speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> uh, other movies on that list are The Invisible Man. Mm, yes, I have not watched yeah. that because that would be too spooky for me. It's very good. <laughs> it, it's it's a very enjoyable film. Um, the movie Us. Oh, good, good for her. Good for her. Uh, Knives Out. Yes. Gone Girl. Gone Girl is what I was thinking of as sort of the er version of this, and also how the rejection of um, Amy's description of the cool girl in that movie, um, and how by the end of it, Grace has given up trying to be anything for Alex, trying to even pretend anything for Alex. It's mm-hmm. almost exactly the same role that Amy's in when she decides to gone girl herself. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, good for her. And and the final, my my favorite of these films, Suspiria. See, another one I haven't seen, but I gotta see it. Oh god, Suspiria's so good. Oh my gosh. But well, you know, again, it is spooky it, season. I gotta catch up on these. It does end in such a good for her moment. Excellent. So, uh, Sarah. Yes. Now that we've been through Ready or Not, are you ready or not to say if this is camp? Oh no! Don't murder me! I love you. Um. Yes, I am ready. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Is it camp? Is it camp? I don't think this is camp. It's comedy, but it's not camp. I think there are moments of camp in it. I think Aunt Helen is camp. Aunt Helen is camp. Annie McDowell is camp. And uh, ineffectual cousin Christian Brune is camp. But... Beyond that, it's a good film. I enjoy myself. Again, I love the uh, gamification of death in films. But I love uh, a story with restrictions. Like, yeah, that's I, like you I, just have to make it to that sort of thing. Sunrise. Yeah. But is this camp? 
No, I'll agree and say ready or not is not camp, but it's a good time. It is a heck of a good time. It is one of those horror movies where I would be like, you know what? You can shut your eyes for scary parts if you don't like anything about like nails going through hands and things like that. But for the rest of the time, Samara Weaving and the and the whole family as a supporting cast is giving such a great performance. I think most people would find it hard to not enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's basically CanCon. Exactly. A whole bunch of people got paid. I like that. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Ready or Not. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes. And next week, we will be attacking Amélie. I have so many questions about your choice of I'm, I'm going to straight up throw you <laughs> under the bus here and say Sam chose Amelie for our uh, podcast <laughs> about camp movies. <laughs> Amelie! It's me, Amelie! <laughs> Are you thinking of its popular Vietnamese animated cartoon? Hello, it's Amelie. I'm a French girl. <laughs> no, the the delightful French film from what was it, two thousand three, two thousand four? Uh, two thousand three, because I saw this. It was maybe two thousand and two in France, two thousand and three in North America, because I was sixteen when I first saw this movie, which is scientifically proven to be the best time to see the Amelie. <laughs> if you want to really fixate on. And say, I, this is my aesthetic. I'm a winsome Parisienne. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a very long time, so I have no idea how the 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 politics of this movie have held up in today's climate. But we'll see. Where this is our first foreign film, is it not? Uh yes, I believe it is. Unless you can all of the American and English ones as foreign. Oh, and I suppose Stage Fright was technically Italian. Technically Italian, but but this is our first proper like let's watch a French film starring French people in France. Does this mean that uh, the upcoming Mario movie is technically Italian because Chris Pratt is going to be technically Italian? No, but they're all technically Japanese. There we go. You know, <laughs> Chris Pratt, that strong Italian Japanese actor. Oh God, Chris Pratt. <sighs> <laughs> I, I, I have never had an actor that I enjoyed lose so much face to me so quickly. I know, right? If you had, <laughs> there was there was a time ten years ago when people were like, "Oh yeah, the next Harrison Ford, Chris Pratt." We all love him. The internet loves milkshake duck, Chris Pratt. Oh, God. If there ever was to be a milkshake duck. Oh, oh no, God. no, you misunderstand. This church is open to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. But Chris yeah. Pratt isn't in Amelie. Thank goodness. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about Amelie. All right. So everybody, watch a foreign film. Enjoy a foreign film. We sure will. You can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Reese Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S. The Welsh way. The Welsh way. 
and I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Ta-ra! Bye! I am so sorry to anybody who listened to that and went <laughs> deaf immediately.